Wallace to his left, and he's on his way. 10, 9, 5, 3, cut down! Wonderful try! We have a mole, Jim. Digs like a demented mole there. He just bursts through the defence. Just watch this. Spillane gathers beautifully. In go the Irish forwards. This is Lennon. Bursting into the 22. Back to Bradley. Back to Kiernan. The drop of goal is over. Michael Kiernan has done it. Good evening and welcome to the Molecast. Good evening. Good evening. You always tell me that rugby matches are made up of rugby events and not narratives. So why am I so scared of Warren Gatlin and his old, old team? I, I, I can't tell you why you're scared. I'm not, the, I'm not that, that scared. Like, obviously, Wales away is not a place we've had a whole lot of success, but I think that the team is composed of guys who don't have a huge amount of form, with the exception of Tupuric and Faletau. I can just, I just look, I really look across that uh, Welsh side, and I think that there's not, there's not a lot of form there. And people are, are saying, "Oh, there wasn't a lot of form there before," and they always got more out of them than they they showed at. Um, Gatland always got more out of his players than they showed at provincial level, but he's just going back to the same well, you know, of of you know, pretty. Like not pretty old, just old players. They're not the players they were. Ken Owens, Alan Wynne Jones, Lee Halfpenny are not the players they were. Um, and then aside from that, it's it's hard to see where beyond Falatau and Tupurch, two players who aren't have good opposite numbers against, where the huge threat is going to come from. Like George North has not played much rugby either this season or last season, and. You know, they're missing Reece Samet. Um, so I think that it's going to be tight. Wales are going to tackle like mentlers. And Ireland might have to take their points more than we've seen them do and try and put distance between them because I don't think that this Welsh team is going to score a lot of tries. But it's a Six Nations game and it's not tries that win, it's points that win. I, yeah, I, I, I mean, you made the point that they should take their points and uh, put scoreboard pressure on Wales to me um, by text message ahead of this. And I just thought that's something I can see us not doing because like we, we do kick into the corner an awful lot. The one time we kind of famously took our points rather than kicking to the corner was when we lost to France last year. And it's sort of, it's a... a, a I wouldn't say it's been a tool to uh, a stick to beat the team with, but um, that's exactly what it's been. I, I, don't, I, mean, I don't think it's been that commonly, but I, I know uh, certain commentators definitely uh, look back on it with a lot of regret. I, I, I thought at the time it's kind of a it was a sensible enough decision and it didn't pay off in the long run. If they get line out stops against us in Cardiff Farms Park with the entire Welsh crowd armoured, roaring their loaves off, that's just the ebb and flow of psychic energy will all be just flow towards Wales. If we can go, as they did before, uh, under, I remember, a Wayne Barnes ref game where they went 3-6-9-12 in about the first 12 minutes, Lee Halfpenny kicking a number of goals from front of the sticks about 40 to 50 metres away. 
becomes a very different game for Wales. So I would say just scoreboard pressure rather than giving them defensive wins because defending is going to be, they're going to be 10 out of 10. Even if they don't have Sean Edwards coaching them, they're just going to be so motivated. It's the last thing that goes is defense because it's all just like, uh, you know, Alan Jones and Ken Owens, like, I'm, the legs have gone maybe. But one thing that hasn't gone is like the massive heart. Those ads will just be tacking themselves to an absolute stand. The entire Welsh team will tack themselves to a standstill. So it's like, don't give them, don't give them inopportune wins on defence. It's like just put pressure, scoreboard pressure on them, because I don't think they can score a lot of tries. Yeah, that's a very good. I think it's a very good summary. I think, you know, if you could sketch out a few scenarios. So say, like, do you think Wales will get enough pressure to put Ireland 12 points down with kicks or nine points down with kicks? And even if... So, you know, what, what does that game look like? Because I think Ireland probably have more capacity to score tries. Maybe. Yeah, no, I, I, think, they, I think they do. Um, the more capacity than Wales to score tries? Yeah. 100%. And then I think that whereas if Ireland score... Like if Ireland go up nine points, it and and deny Wales an in, it steals the oxygen from Wales. And you know how long Gatlin wasn't coaching Wales until recently, so he he hasn't done a spala, he hasn't done a lot of the like the the season hasn't gone to his rhythm, where it would have been when he was moving from one season into another and he would have planned his conditioning around um, peaking for the Six Nations then peaking for the World Cup. I, I don't think he can have... Who's his fitness coach? Don't know. Yeah. Um, I mean, certainly in 2019, the, the conditioning that the Welsh guys had in that final weekend of the Six Nations was immensely impressive. Uh, in particular, Hadley Parks tracking across and Not catching Jacob's stay, top yeah. down. Like, I, I don't know how on earth he managed to do that. Um, other than just being at the absolute tip-top physical prowess. Um, so I don't think they're going to have that. So I think that it's, it's easier to see scenarios where Ireland um, just starve Wales. Or yeah. it's... It, sorry, it's... And it, or harder, there's more scenarios where Ireland win. I agree. Like, Wales don't have an established, like, they've changed their defense or attack coach and defense coach in the last, like, two months. So what game plan are they going to attack with? They've had no time to learn a new game plan. So they're going to play essentially simple rugby. I think they're going to kick a lot of contestables. Like, some of Gatlin's teams, the, the last team I saw Gatlin coach was the Lions in South Africa. That was some of the fucking worst and ugliest rugby I've seen. And like when I say worst, just bad. Just a bad brand of rugby, which was unsuccessful, uh, in, ineffective, and ugly as sin. So I think that's what's gonna turn out. And like you were you were at the semi-final in 2019. Oh god. Tell I us was. about that. The main thing that'll always stick out to me in my memory of the game in Yokohama was a man doing the bokeh chant. Bokeh, bokeh. It's like two tones. Like, you know, it's like DC, Nino, yeah. Nino. And he somehow managed to be out of tune. <laughs> the like... other things that happened on the way to it was that there are two stadiums in Yokohama, and I nearly took us to the wrong one. Uh, I took us to the, uh, the 
football baseball teams, stadium. No, the football team stadium rather than in the international stadium. And the last thing was, it was the only time it ever happened in Japan. So when I got on the train and then they, like those guys with the white gloves just squeezed more people on the train so that you became almost like horizontal and just like a sardine can. Anyway, the whole, the whole game was genuinely the most dreadful and boring thing with the incredibly bellicose and an, noisy and annoying uh, box couple beside us. Uh, but yeah, the game was just nothing. There was two tries in it, I think, at the end. Uh, possibly one for each team, and yeah. the box won up by three points. It was a stinker. And it, it was total shit. And like, I was kind of like, I don't know. It was like maybe uh, going to a World Cup semi-final is not all it's cracked up yeah, to be. <laughs> exactly, lads. Don't worry about it. It's not great. And yeah, and there's so much there sensible in what you said about uh, Gatlin's teams. Stuart Barnes. Uh, was being interviewed by second captains and he made I think is an interesting point that I hadn't thought of before he basically he was saying he didn't have Gatlin in the sort of top echelon of coaches and that he won his three grand slams in the uh, <laughs> the accursed non-vintage six nations basically, <laughs> you know basically saying that like you know England or France or both were kind of crap when um, when they won their tournaments oh, okay and that well, now that the Six Nations is at, at a similar level to the Rugby Championship, uh, because the, the two, two of the leading teams in the world are Ireland and France, and generally just the kind of leveling out of, uh, of Six Nations, or of international rugby in general. It's an interesting point that Barnsley made. That's a great point, because I always think when people say a non-vintage Six Nations, like, my team didn't win. That's what you say when I, the Six Nations I sort happens. of agree with that. Yeah, but now that... But I do understand his point completely. If you are if you are missing teams like France and England, France especially had a very poor period for a very long time. And if you're going like, if you have teams who are, you know, seven, eight, nine in the world instead of one, two, and four or one, two, and five, that is a non-vintage <coughs> Six Nations. I think it also speaks. I mean, Gatlin's reputation speaks to the the psychic energy generated by a Grand Slam as opposed to a championship win. Good Even point. though they are essentially the same thing. Like, it's a tournament, you're trying to win it. Um, but Gatlin has three Grand Slams and another tournament win. Joe won three tournaments in much less time. And, like, no one puts him in that. So no one thinks Joe is kind of like a, you know... A, a mystical... Yeah, a mystical... Lions you know, legend. You know, Exactly. I think, though, if you take that attitude, it tars Ireland's Grand Slams with the same brush, so I wouldn't be promoting that. And I also think that, it, like, where does that leave England or France's Grand Slam? Because they can't beat themselves, so, like, it's, are their Grand Slams worth half? Because they only have, like, France only have to beat England. And then, you know, the Mickey Mouse Celtic Nations and the, and the Italians. You've solved it. It's a very, it's a very Saxon-centric um, but at le, least Le, le Crunch centric view I, So I don't really buy it Now I It's not I, I think it's more that <clears throat> At least instead of saying Just an empty formulation of words He's actually tried To put an equation together I yeah. don't agree with it either But I think it's At least it's thought through Yeah Yeah uh, Yeah that, That's good No um, I mean it, it's a bit It's a bit uh, ridiculous to talk down Gatlin's record, by the way. I'm, yeah, which I'm is, not, I'm which not. is fucking I, wild. He's won everything. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm not. I'm, I'm, I'm positing the theory that was that was put forward by Stuart Barnes, and also, I mean, it, it, it's interesting context uh, to be like, 
does 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 all those Grand Slams. And the same thing about Ireland's Grand Slams. They're you know one. It's hard. It's going to be harder for Ireland to win a Grand Slam this year when France are finally good. I think that um, Gatlin's record though against the Southern Hemisphere is probably the matches that he did. Like it's hard to blame him for the matches that he won. He's like, ah, oh, he won these Grand Slams, but they're you know they're not that good. I mean, Jesus, he won them. What what do you want him to do? You know, we want to Whereas, win them better. Um, yeah. Very much. Um, whereas his record against the Southern Hemisphere teams where he lost loads and loads is a, is a better comparison about how good he was. Again, to return to the physical fitness thing, and I, I thought that at Wasps, I think Gatland is very good at, um, very good at direction, really. You know, so like he, he gets the guys around him, I think he gets, in, like, he gets an awful lot from. Like he got yeah, an awful, he gets them all pointing in the same gets, direction. He gets very good guys around him. And then he gets an awful lot from them. Um, and I think he gets them, like, he gets very good fitness guys. He had, pretty sure it's Ridgen, um, you know, the sort of the hyperactive yeah, yeah, yeah. guy who, who, he kept on, who he kept on bringing in the Lions towards yeah. as well. So, uh, and then he had White when Bobby he was Ridgen, at, yeah. Bobby Ridgen. And then he had uh, White at um, Wasps um, when they were extremely, and they used to taper their training and they'd, they'd be prepared to give up certain chunks of the season in order to peak at April May time. Did he have Reiner at any stage? Uh, Reiner was on the. I was on the. He was. He was in the team. He knew, yeah, he was in. He was in the S and C team, mm-hmm. and he knew. Um, he knew your man White had brought him over, um, and he obviously got a huge amount from Sean Edwards, um, and I, I think it was more sort of getting Sean Edwards on board. Um, and then reading what Ty Furlong said about him, which is uh, really consistent with what other players have said about him, where his training sessions were really sharp, physical. His meetings were really short and to the point. And like he gets a team, you know, he 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 understands uh, he understands the team. And in, what he seems to be particularly good in the Six Nations is is building that up up that momentum and maybe some of that is, is Wales but he he did seem to be particularly good at that yeah um I do think even that season that Ireland won three that the foot and mouth season which is which is a long time ago and then it was there was a break of a summertime and then you had to go back and play the Six Nations for the for the cash flow and yeah. finish off the Six Nations but Ireland lost to Scotland got hammered by them and you know you kind of look back and you think oh gee like had Ireland played Scotland in March would they have lost them? No. I don't, I don't think they would have. You know, I, I think Gatton was very good at momentum and, and being in a camp. Um, and at such short notice. But we've talked about him for, I don't know, five, ten minutes. So he's, he's obviously still got a spell over us. No, oh, he does, yeah. He, like, I'd be much rather be playing at a Welsh team under PVAC than one under Gatland. Mm. Yeah, I mean... What you've just described is a man who manages to get, you know, more than the sum of its parts. And he, you know, he understands the team. He, he builds something yeah. that's bigger than just like, oh, the old version of Ken Owens and the old version of, of Alan Alan Jones. Yeah. And it's like, you know, he'll find some fire in them. He'll make all of their strengths, which are, let, let's say, like they're tackling their defense. He'll make them the team's strengths. So there is reason to be oh, very yeah. worried about it. Yeah, 100%. It's not an easy fixture. I don't think our, uh, I don't think either this match or the Scotland game 
are going to be anything like the games when we play those teams at home. I think they're both going to be much tougher games. You think that Larmer is going to get picked. Can you tell me your reasoning behind that? No, I don't. It's just a hunch. I think he's playing well. I don't think Mac Hansen has played well for Connacht. I think he's played well for Ireland this season, whereas Larmer hasn't played well. He hasn't had those. He hasn't played in those big games, but he has played really well for Leinster. Uh, Farrell was very effusive about him, actually, as well, in a, about Larmer in a, an article I read. I think it was in the Examiner either yesterday morning or this morning saying, well, I wish I could have like 30 people with his attitude in camp. So I think that's a potential wrinkle at number 14. I would say like it's a it's a 20% suspicion. You know, I don't think, oh, he's definitely going to be, and I certainly have no inside information because we're here in fucking Ireland, not Portugal. <laughs> uh, but I just have a, a small suspicion. Uh, that he, he'll get the nod at number 14 with Hansen going to 23. But I don't think that's the the big call because I think that the big call, I'll ask you first, is who's going to start at number 12? Stuart McCluskey. Who do you think? McCluskey. So do I. Uh, I yeah. I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's like, uh, for for the three of us, obviously, if in my head it's it's quite clear cut. Uh, he's, he's playing every week, but yeah. he's not. Yeah, and Bundy struggles for fitness. So maybe Bundy's aerobically very fit, but um, in the same breath that you think that Larmer would get selected ahead of Matt Hansen because he's playing well, I think Farrell will pick a team along those lines of who's in form. So I, yeah, I, I saw that question posed: but who who would line up beside Ringrose? Uh, and I saw the three names touted as uh, McCluskey, Bundy, and Osborne, and I just thought. Definitely McCluskey. Just it, it, it. He actually he got picked for two of the games, and I know he went off early against um, South Africa, but he got, he was back by the Australian game, wasn't he? He missed he the was, middle yeah, one. Yeah. Yeah. Like he's actually in possession of the jersey if you think of it like that. I agree. And um, he's playing. I agree with the fact. <laughs> <laughs> he's 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 playing really well. It would see and like he's gone through all the the bits in his career where, in that way that we talked about Ulster two weeks ago these players who didn't press on and he has pressed on and it actually took him longer to get his rewards because he plays in a position that is so uh, so such a strong position for Ireland and he was he was he was somebody who pressed on having kind of had the initial disappointment or you know got his first cap and then not really been there yeah afterwards so i think his attitude has been so exemplary for so long and he's played well for Ireland when he has got the chance now to that lovely pass in that second uh, All Blacks oh, or absolutely the Mary Mary game. game, and was great in his bit in his bid against um, South Africa, and then played against. I know Bundy had a, such a dramatic cameo when he came on against Australia, but definitely I was like, oh, it's McCluskey's jersey to, to yeah. hold on to. And I think McCluskey is, uh, I would say, the only player out of uh, Ulster in the recent their absolute sort of meltdown before the recovery against the Stormers. Like I, I, I read about old McCluskey, recently old McCluskey, you know, so for long with the rest of it, I, go, I didn't see that. I saw McCluskey basically trying to put the team in his back, always being available to carry the ball, always carrying the ball well and not playing badly at all. It was basically everyone else, you know, <laughs> everyone else is out of step. <laughs> uh, but everyone else was out of step. He was the one continuing to play well. So for me, it's like it would be... I'm not saying he'd be the first name in the team sheet, but he would certainly be on, on my team sheet. 
I think like I wouldn't pick Osborne to debut for Ireland in an away game in the Millennium Stadium, the first game of the Six Nations. It's Jesus, no. no, no, not unless you had an absolute injury crisis. Certainly, yeah. certainly not ahead of McCluskey and Bundy. Yeah, like I would have him third. By you know, distance. I would have, but like absolutely. So I, I, I don't think, uh, I don't think there's really like that fella is going to go on when you know injury permitting, sixty or seventy caps, but. I wouldn't play him uh, in Wales for his first cap in the Six Nations. There's yeah. a time and a place for uh, for selecting a guy for his first cap when you have you know really strong options. Like twelve is so strong in Ireland. I, I don't know if there's. I was trying to go back over um, like my like where we've been really strong. Like in 2011, not quite. Well, we, at, sort of at the same time we had like at, at open side we had David Wallace, Sean O'Brien, and Jeno which is very similar to to Bundy, Robbie and, and McCluskey in that you have two guys who've been test lines or one guy who was a test line and the next guy is a test line the next tour. Mm. And then a really, really good pro who was always turning up for his province for like 200 games. And then, you know, probably going back into the, the previous World Cup squad, which you had Easterby, Quinlan and Ferris. You know, you had the guy who was a test line in 2005, a guy who would have been on the lines in 2009 and then the guy who was a line in and then we bought three more number six yeah (laughs) (laughs) okay and then uh, um the rest of the team injury permitting picks itself right yeah i think so um peter o'mahony starts at six yeah and jack conan probably is the sub yeah i think so yeah so yeah i no i uh would have originally i thought i'm sure you'll have hendy and Jack Conan on the bench. And then a few minutes later, I thought to myself, I don't know, why wouldn't you pick Ryan Baird and Gavin Coombs, who are in better form, like, and who cover kind of sort of the same position in, in a way. But you're, you're just going, right, I've got two big guys to play in the back five. Like uh, Keelan Darris is, you know, if I need to bring on Coombs, I can move Darris to number six. If I need, you know, if I, and you give yourself a few choices there and that you can put in, you can put Baird at six, which I think would, would suit him better. If you needed to, you could put Baird at second row or Coombs at second row to push and move Tyburn to six. I don't know why you'd want to move around so many players. Um, you could bring Baird on second row if if you wanted to give James Ryan and Tyburn a rest, but you know, they're, they've both got really good engines. They're both really good footballers. Mm. Um, they're not carrying a huge amount of weight, so they could both play 80 minutes and you could be really well off with them. Um, and I think more to the point is that the two guys are in really good form. Yeah, playing well. Playing well. So not, not necessarily that, oh, I want to pick it because I want really big guys or because I want to give myself, you know... Like this, this idea that like oh, we need to, we need to play fellas before the World Cup is kind of like teams win today, win tomorrow. Teams don't get selected really on on that basis in the Six Nations. I think what you're best off is who's playing best, and can I get them on the pitch? Yeah, good point. Um, so I pick those two on the bench. Yeah, that's that's very interesting, and I, I think it kind of just maybe have been autopiloting Jack Conan in there and Jack Conan did have a good game against the uh, Ospreys Jack Conan has yeah he's uh, found his form he's 
slowly coming into form after I think being in the sort of doldrums a little oh, bit. Yes, yeah, he was. Yeah. Um, Ross Burnham at twenty-two. Yes. Um, I don't know who he'll pick at twenty-three. I mean, I think. Farrell being Farrell, I get the suspicion that if he picks McCluskey, he still might have Bundy at 23 because he loves Bundy. Yeah. Um, and in, in that point, then uh, Crowley's a better option because he can play fullback if you need him to go there. He can play centre, although you've already got you know a centre on the bench. Um, Bundy only covers inside centre. Me, like second center at a real push if you needed to go on if you needed to move ringer to the wing um so i think you go crowley bundy even though it makes far more sense to pick uh um ross and hansen or something like that or no ross well i mean it, it makes more sense to pick hansen or jimmy as your as your 23 or larmore or larmore but let's say he starts larmore let's say he starts larmore on the wing it makes more sense to pick Jimmy, really. Yeah. Uh, in terms of a Joe selection of like who covers the most positions. Um or Hansen for the fact that he can cover all of the back three. Um but no, I don't think I think Farrell and Farrell you go you go up on. Yeah, that's like there are there are interesting selection calls we made, even though we're in a very settled and successful team. There are still interesting calls there. I'm looking forward to seeing what team is announced. I think what, <laughs> what it, a fucking lame sentence. <laughs> what a, what a, uh, you start that again just by saying I think. I think what it's what it kind of reconfirms is is the amount of depth in Irish rugby, which has steadily increased as as the years have gone by. Where we certainly would have had conversations, or certainly did have conversations about the the number of caps on the bench and Keane Healy and Connor Murray and the virtues benefits of bringing on guys who aren't going to be daunted by the experience they're not going to drop the ball they're they're not going to feel that pressurized mm-hmm. if you're chasing a game if you're holding on to a lead um to the point where you can go like henderson and jack conan who are lines are they going to be on the bench and you're like no we don't we don't need to rush them back or you know rush them back in henderson's case or you don't need to sort of go i hope jack's match like his his return to form is going to increase to the point so there isn't that sort of grabbing similarly bundy's a test line like would you would you pick him no um pick somebody else you know again on form and um mac hansen won an award like uh, last year i think in the six nations was he was he ireland's best ireland's young young player of the year or breakthrough yeah, Star. he was nominated for breakthrough. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and again, you go, look, we'll, we'll pick Larmer. And Hansen might need me on the bench. Or if Hansen is on the bench, then it'd be at, at the expense of, at the expense of uh, Bundy. So, and that's what Robbie Henshaw, not available. Yeah. So I think the, the depth is really encouraging. And like, there's only 15 guys that can play, but hopefully it means that Ireland can change the game. In by by bringing guys off the bench, rather than hoping that people don't get exposed, yeah. which which would have been a concern, and that that strength can only benefit you. Again, as always, like there's there's a big drop from the two starting props to the next two, but that's because the two starting props are so good. It's not the only reason, but like it's it's a lot of the reason. 
Um, it's a shame Kelher is injured. Yeah. Because that would have, uh, I think, I think he wouldn't been on the bench. I don't think he could get past legitimately get past Dan Sheen, but it would give Ireland a very strong scrum and a lot of ball carrying. Uh, all the way through the match. Well, sorry, it would give Ireland a like, really good strong ball carrying from two all the way through the match and it would bring on a stronger scrummager. Um, like who's, who's a quality player, probably a better defender. Um, and, and, like, and just keep the pressure on. But um, he's having an awful run with injury. They don't build him like that anymore. Have to give credit to the forwards. England have a lot of injuries uh, Courtney Laws and Matt Slade and Elliot Daly, Elliot Daly all Luke out Dickey. for the entire tournament uh, Jamie George Luke Cowan Dickey and they've called back in Dan Cole um, normally you'd say them at home against Scotland it's the kind of thing they'd definitely win but they're in the middle of a lot of upheaval and they don't you know bringing in uh, Borthwick it doesn't have the same kind of uh, psychic energy that bringing back a Gatland kind of figure would have for Wales. Well, absolutely. Absolutely correct. Um, Bortic is a good coach, but it's nothing It's nothing like bringing in Gatland as, as Wales have done or, or Eddie Jones as Australia have done. He just doesn't have the resume uh, that those two lads, they're fucking hardly anybody in world rugby does. Uh I think that the way that, and this is a, I never thought I'd see myself or hear myself saying this, but the way that Finn Russell has been kicking goals this season for Racing, especially in, in their recent game against uh, um, La Rochelle, where I think he kicked either eight goals or nine goals. It seems to me that the fella is beginning to, to, to take you know, being the leader of the team a bit more seriously. You know, that might, I might, I might be, I might be wrong there. I might, he might, it might just be something that he's got good at for himself, that he decided to do it himself. But it's a side to Finn Russell, which I would never, I would never have considered him a top tier goal kicker. I would have seen it as a weakness in his game. Because uh, he's very, he's a very talented guy, uh, but a flake. Whereas if you're kicking, if you're kicking loads of goals, and you're kicking your ninety percent, I think this season, it's hard to say that somebody's a flake if you're that good a goal kicker and you're a regular kicker and like not, you know, four out of five over the season, but you know, in your thirty, getting the number of kicks in a season like 30, 40, 50. So, England very injured, new coach, Scotland, newfound, potentially newfound leadership. Scotland have self-destructed before, um, but I do have the inkling that they are, I, I think they're going to win, the Scots. In Twickenham? I do, yeah. They've given England good matches. And beaten them. In the last few years, and they've beaten them. Um, it's a big ass to win in Twickenham, but what's that? What's the handicap? I should really look up the handicap. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. I mean, England. England at home is is daunting. I guess when Argentina beat England at home, yeah, New Zealand should have beaten England in Twickenham, and South and Africa did. South Africa did, and Japan were better than them, but just obviously got got spanked by the momentum. Um, 
Eight points. Minus eight. Yeah. Um, do you think that's... So are, are, you, are you stronger on Scotland or are you sort of weak England? What's your, what's your rationale? I think, I think I'm stronger on Scotland. Uh, I'm not... It's a, it's a hunch. And Jesus, like, if you go back over the long... We've been recording these for quite a while. I, I am, like, wrong a lot. <laughs> uh, sometimes I overthink them. But I, I, I would be strong on Scotland. I would be uh, bullish on Scotland. I think England's... England have no form. Changing a coach so recently doesn't... like I, Because my thinking about that is it took uh, Cat and Farrell a long time to actually bet in uh, a very good attacking and sophisticated attacking game plan with Ireland. Like, I would say it took more than a year. And I don't think that you can you can push that... Don't think you can compress that into into two months or a, a month and a half. And realistically, they don't. Those lads, Gatlin and Borthwick, haven't had a month with players. They, they have had very little time training that team together, so they can fill them full of piss and vinegar. But like, there's going to be it's going to be a more simplified game plan than uh, than they're ultimately going to have available to them for the World Cup. Say, I think England are going to win. And I think they're all going to talk about Kevin Sinfield afterwards. Oh, Kevin Sinfield's a fucking legend. And what a legend he is. And it's going to be it's going to be based on defence. So yeah, well, that's what I think is going to happen. And like they're playing at Twickenham. Yeah, listen, that's absolutely probably probably more likely than what I'm uh, suggesting. But yeah, as I said, it's just an inkling. I don't really have a huge amount to back that up. Like if if Darcy Graham was still for, I don't know. How much of Darcy Graham you watched? This is before his injury. Jesus, he was playing like Shane Williams. He was. Oh, yeah. he well, was not a, a huge amount, but yeah. Yeah, he was, he was amazing. Uh, and he had the potential to like to do a Shane Williams in 2008 or a Stockdale in 2018. He was he was fucking not unplayable, but like he was just electric. So he's a he's a huge loss to the Jocks. That sort of wild card. Uh, but like Russell. Russell's good. Like I don't really, don't really like him, um, but he's he's really talented, really talented, and he can play. He tends to play well against England. Just watch this. Great possible play there. This shows how dangerous they are with the ball in the hands. This talented group of players are going to have to work together to make a team that has a competitive edge over the rest of the world because we're not short of talented players here. There's plenty of talented players, but talent doesn't win World Cups. What wins World Cups and wins the hearts of people are teams that play with that same spirit the Ellis had, about being aggressive, playing with a certain panache. That doesn't mean you run with the ball all the time because kicking can be as, as artistic as, as running the ball, but we want to play with a certain panache. We want to play tough. You win those tight games by one or two points, and that's the traditional Australian digger spirit. We want that in the team, and that's the opportunity for this group of players this year. And we want pride back in Australian rugby. You know, as we said, we've been through a tough period. We want pride back. That's the most important thing, mate. 
Eddie Jones literally had a brass band playing behind him while he said that, that rousing speech. Um, it's brilliantly put together. It makes it sound like uh, Australia had something worse happen to them than getting a few injuries and losing a bunch of games at rugby. Um, and also, it's sort of like it reminds me of that bit in The Simpsons where the kids are asked to describe what they want their cartoons to be like. And it's like completely off the wall and totally wacky with realistic storylines. It's like, you know, boot bite and bollock, play hard, but also with a bit of panache, a certain panache, but also your leg kick the ball. Like, Eddie just wants to win, but that's a very good description of how he wants to win as an Australian. I love that speech. I, I, was, I said to you earlier, like, 10 out of 10. Absolutely brilliant speech. Uh, the benefit of having, uh, like, a, a guy from your own country coach in the team. You can tap into that immediately, and, and nobody in their inner negative head is going, what the fuck do you know about being Irish? Or what the fuck do you know about being Australian? I thought it was brilliant. Like, I remember coming out of that uh, Ireland-Australia game, which we were lucky to win, and just thinking, like, Jeez, Australia, like, they have, they got slaughtered in terms of injuries in that game. And they're going, they're fucking live contenders for the World Cup. Um, and I was just, uh, when I was watching Toulouse versus Munster, the BT commentators were going, oh, Eddie Jones is going to love Mayafu. And I was going, fuck, he could have, like, Will Skelton to start and Mayafu to come on, or else he could start the two of them together. <laughs> have the biggest second row in history. And they've got some other, like, they've got other good second rows. Because like, Australian forward play has been, you know, not traditionally, but in, in recent times it's been where they haven't had the horses. Get three-story Rory back. Get three-story Rory back, Skelton. They've got, the, I, I can't remember the name of it, like the six, nine youngster that they have at the moment. That's not Mayafu or Skelton. <laughs> um, the guy who played against Ireland. Like, I, 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 will, I was... Very sorry for Dave Rennie when he got, like, he got sacked. You know, I haven't not really done anything wrong and haven't done a lot of stuff right. But it's a, it's a punt from the, um, it's a punt from the Aussie Union. And I think, like, I think it's looking, you know, it's very, that's a fucking speech, not a match. But I think it's like looking like a good punt. I... I think Eddie could have said anything. Like, when I heard that speech, what immediately struck me was he never said anything like that when he was coaching England. That the, the England job was pure professional, pure for money. And Eddie loves coaching. Like, Eddie went back to Japan, but even at the end of his book, Eddie's like, oh, yeah, mate, like, at some stage, I'll be coaching some underage, like, when I'm retired, I'll be coaching an underage team just for kicks and, you know, be down, like, just for the game. And you go, like... The Australian national job is the job that Rudy wants. And, and the guy would coach a rugby team. So he would do that job for free. There was an interview, a number, probably a decade or something, and they were talking about, uh, it, was, it was like a Radio 5 sort of chat show interview. Uh, and they were talking about the amount the footballers got paid. And it, it might have been, I think it was keen. I think it was like it was somebody Irish who said like you know well, what do you think these guys would be doing if like if they weren't playing like you know if they weren't being paid that much and they were like uh, I I don't know would they be uh, working in a maybe driving a van or yes yeah, so like, working or, in a factory working in a factory or something they go no like they're playing football yeah. <laughs> like I mean this is this and is gambling they, <laughs> <laughs> this is what they love doing and that's what's that's what really struck me about Eddie and the fact that he. Um, <laughs> And the fact that he's an Aussie, and I think you you said it there that 
um, like the French went and got Gautier. Yeah. And they they have Sean Edwards with them, but they also have Rafa Ibanez with them. Like it's it's France for France, and it's 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 that understanding of of what it means to play for Les Bleus. And I think Woodward, who like is oh, probably the the biggest rival of Eddie Jones down through the years, as an Englishman, looked at Eddie coaching England despairingly and just thought like there should be an English guy coaching England because yeah. Eddie doesn't like us <laughs> like he just you know he's he's coaching our team but he doesn't like us yeah um and that's awkward you know that that's kind of that's a bit that's a bit tough to take and going back into the misty depths of the 80s like Mick Doyle coaching Ireland and like that Irish team now that was the Irish team which I sort of that I sort of grew up with. It was actually a little before my time, but we had the Year of Pride video and I was incredibly familiar with that. <laughs> it being the only video that we owned. Um, and he he injected something and people responded to it. Um, he injected something like insulin or fucking adrenaline. But you know he what I mean? He was a vet. He gets hands on this shit. <laughs> But he had he had something which people responded to, and they responded to it because because he was Irish in a way that, um, you know, like Murray Kidd just couldn't. No one switched on to Murray Kidd or Brian Ashton at all, you know. And it's not it's not absolutely implicit that a successful coach has to be. I'm not sure if I used the right word there. The successful coach or the most successful coach has to be from your from your country. Like Warren Gatland is up on the same pedestal as Carwin James in Wales like there's nobody thinks oh Carwin was like Carwin had to be better because he's Welsh like Gatlin did so much achieved so much with Wales but I think I think in this instance with Eddie Jones coming back I think uh, I think Australia are gonna gonna be really good yeah um, and I think players will respond to him because um, the passion, like the, the the like how ingrained it is in him, like you know the the grain rates and like the Ellas, because he grew up at the Ellas. Yeah. Um. So that reference for him is about backyard footy and you know just playing, like playing playing as kids. It it's not necessarily harking back to the nineteen eighties. It's it's harking back to his childhood, and like this is. I, I'd say Eddie really appreciates getting this gig. Yeah. So I think that um, that energy will uh, like electrify guys in in Australia because it's basically because it's really difficult to explain. But it's yeah. it's it's that charisma, you know. That the same reason that we opened up talking about Gatland is that there's some sort of boss man uh, charisma that Gatlin has that you know they'll be better than they were under PMAC. And also, Eddie Jones is a great coach. Like He's a great coach. Like He's the management side of things, which always tends to let him down, but as a coach, he's fucking amazing. We all put ourselves into the team. You know, everything we think of, you know, and thought of and ever did in rugby, uh, 
You commit yourself to 15 guys, okay? And they to each other. And that's what the team is about.